Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of Self-Control Through Torah. I'm your co-host, David Gottlieb. I am a historian of Judaism and a member of the Jewish Studies faculty at the Spertus Institute for Jewish Learning and Leadership in Chicago. And I am Modia Silva in Toronto, Canada, and I'm an author and psychotherapist. And this week, we continue our journey through the Torah portions. We're in the book of Exodus, and we're reading Parshat Mishpatim. Uh, and if you've listened to us before, you know that we are using a Musar lens and specifically the procedures laid out in Menachem Mendel Leffen's Cheshbon Nefesh to make our way through the Torah portions. And we dwell on one midah or character trait for four successive weeks, so through four Torah portions. Then we rotate to the next character trait and we continue our way through the Torah. The goal that Moja and I have, is to make it all the way through the Torah, putting a Musar lens over every single Torah portion, although using the lenses of the different Midot. And right now, uh, we find ourselves on the character trait of Nikiyut, or cleanliness. And Moja, I'll confess uh, that for personal reasons, not only do I have not much self-control right now, but uh, the Midah of cleanliness is a little bit puzzling to me. I think I, I mentioned this in our, in our uh, podcast episode last week. Uh, it, it, it requires a kind of dual focus, both a modern focus on the individual physical container that we live in, our bodies, our clothes, how we, how our hygiene, but it also has obviously the ethical focus of a zealous desire to rid ourselves to the maximum extent possible of all temptation. So it is not only a hygienic or a physical cleanliness, it is a spiritual and ethical um, discipline, sustained effort to really have a clean slate so that not only can you resist temptation, but you strive to get to the point where temptation doesn't even exist for you. Do I, am I getting that right? Yeah, I think you're getting it right. And I just want to add that we often, by nature, we create duality. And so we've, so in what you just said, you just presented the duality of physical and spiritual, that we are, we're a soul that is inhabiting a body. And I think Nukiyut is one way to help us understand the bridge between the two, that we are talking about physical cleanliness, mm-hmm. and we are also talking about spiritual cleanliness. And and maybe Nukiyut becomes the glue that helps, um, well, helps join physical and spiritual, or helps maybe break down the barrier between the two, mm-hmm. so that ultimately we see ourselves as just one uh, being. I like that. I like very much your sort of resistance or gentle modification of the dualist uh, framework that that I put on this. And I, you know, um, applying what you've said and what I've said to this week's uh, Parsha Mishpatim. So let's just remind our listeners sort of where we at in where we're at in the Torah. So the theophany, the revelation at Sinai, has occurred, and now immediately following on that is the revel the continued revelation and articulation of a series of laws that take up almost this entire Torah portion. And I think um, 
in terms of cleanliness, this is what I learned about this um, Torah portion writ large from from this episode. And what I'm thinking about uh, is that we we have we Israel has just escaped Egypt miraculously delivered out of slavery in the desert, a a land with no culture or basis, a laboratory, if you will, in which a new culture can be formed. How do you develop cleanliness? First of all, you need a framework, right, of values articulated in laws so that people know how to behave, so that there can be actions clearly prescribed and proscribed, and so that there can be consequences for negative actions. The whole idea, in other words, to me, behind this parsha is to try to develop a society that can make its way to dvekut, right? To, to cleaving to God and to developing the necessary spiritual and physical and ritual hygiene to make that possible. So I think this is all about, you can't be a good person or a good society in a vacuum. The very first thing you need is a system of laws that articulate your values to build your world around. Um, yes, and that that clearly is what this entire Torah portion is about, because the whole thing is mishpatim, ordinances or laws created by, ultimately created by the divine, right, and then handed down. I want to say one extra thing as well in this, because we're talking about society, you started talking about we are part of Israel. Um, and that is, I live in Canada, and we are we as a nation are facing the atrocities that we or whoever we are our ancestors committed against our first nations peoples and we had a truth and reconciliation commission a number of years ago because there was a recognition that okay you can have a set of laws and move forward in a healthy way but we also have to come to terms with our past so yeah. i think nukiyut is also about coming to uh, about absolving responsibility or, or reckoning okay. with your past mm-hmm. and dealing with your responsibility from the past and then letting go of it. So the Israelites in Egypt um, were not doing what they should have been doing or were not doing what the new moral code says we should do, right? And I want to go back all the way to Genesis chapter 24, verse 8 just for a moment, Uh Abraham sends his servant out to look for a wife for Isaac. And he says, and if the woman that he finds, if the woman that he finds is not willing to follow you, then you'll be clear from this, my oath. And then only my son, you shall not bring back either. Um, And it says, um, the imlo, you will be free, you'll be absolved. So I think with it, you'll be, so in other words, Eliezer is going to be absolved from responsibility. Mm-hmm. And I think pulling, it's Nikita, so pulling out Nikiyut from that, cleanliness also requires a letting go of the past, like a, forgive, a self-forgiveness or asking others for forgiveness so that right. you can move on. Well, what is, it's interesting. I mean, in, in religious parlance, what is the act of being absolved? It's absolution. 
right? And absolution is a form of uh, moral and spiritual cleaning, right? So, so this makes this makes a great deal of sense what you're saying, and I think the whole forty-year process in the desert is a decades-long process of absolution. Spoiler alert. Next week, we read about the golden calf, right? So even the meticulous laying down of these laws and the articulating it before the people and the ritual framework with which Moses sprinkles blood on the people as a way of formalizing the covenant, you know, one ritual act can't undo multiple centuries of of servitude and living in another cultural environment. Um, Moses and even God you know, are confronted with this fact, it almost, it would seem to their surprise. Um, so the act of absolution uh, has to be a sustained one. And so the midah, right, and the whole practice of musar is to give you a discipline in order to be able to do it. Now, I want to uh, refer to um, the ethical writings of Maimonides and in Hilchot Deot, he says something that I think sheds some light on this. He says, man needs to direct every single one of his deeds solely toward attaining knowledge of Hakadosh Baruch Hu. His sitting down, his standing up, his speech, everything shall be directed toward this goal. How so? Then he gives a bunch of examples. When he conducts business or works to receive a wage, his heart shall not only be set upon taking in money, but he shall do these things in order to acquire what the body needs, such as food, drink, shelter, and a wife. Likewise, when he eats, drinks, and has sexual intercourse, his purpose shall not be to do these things only for pleasure. Rather, his only purpose in eating and drinking shall be to keep his body and limbs healthy. And, and then why do we do all this? Because we're purifying the physical mechanism, right, to serve uh, God. And he says... Um, uh, and he quotes the Mishnah that says, let all your deeds be for the sake of heaven, L'shem Shammai. Mm -hmm. So, that's, so uh, that's amazing because he also says in, um, what is what is Moray Nevuchim in English? The book. The Guide to the Perplexed. Book. Thank you. Guide to the Perplexed. So I don't like when you put me on the spot like that. Can <laughs> we just record that? Like, don't quiz me, okay? <laughs> okay. Okay. Okay, which chat? Okay, I'm going to give you a quote and then you tell me. <laughs> um so the Rambam writes in Guide to the Perplexed. I couldn't think of the English. No, um, I know it happens to me all the time. Yeah, he says that cleanliness is cleanliness, Nukiyut, is part of Avodat Hashem. Mm. So it is part of the the whole process of serving the divine, serving God. Just like yeah. you read from Hilchat Dea, which is part yeah. of his, his Mishnah Torah. Right. Right. So the problem that I stumble upon and that I talked to you about last week is that um, the Rambam seems to advocate a sort of middle way. He talks a lot about the middle path mm -hmm. um, to the avoidance of extremes, right? But in a lot of the in a lot of the Musar readings that I have seen on this subject, you've uh, uh, Nikiut is is a zealous level of Zehirut. In other words, the Zahir is able to avoid temptation, feels temptation, feels the pull of it, but is able to avoid it. The Naki doesn't even feel it anymore. And this requires a kind of zealotry that seems to me 
at odds with Maimonides' middle way? Are we seeing here a conflict between, you know, what, what Maimonides' sort of uh, intellectual pursuit of the of the value of Nikiyut and Musar, or am I am I off the beaten track here? No, I think it's a good. I well, I don't know. Let's explore it because I might come off the beaten track with you. Great. Um, so I want to step, I, I like to step back. Firstly, when in Hilchot Dea, where he says that we should always follow the middle way, which I think comes right out of Aristotle as well. Exactly. It, and Aristotle, before that, it comes out of Confucius, who says the mm-hmm. same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, which just, you know, and some people go, oh, so it's not really a Jewish thing. And I think, well, no, it's just a universal truth. I think so. That everyone came to. Yeah. Um, he actually lists two areas where you shouldn't follow the middle way, you should go to an extreme. And so even in his writing, he's going, yeah, 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 follow the middle way, uh, but not but but not completely. What are those two instances? I know you were going to ask me that. I guess. Well, yeah, come on. But don't I think I'm quizzing them, you now. I think one of them is humility and arrogance, and maybe the other is anger. Yeah, I think that's right. I actually, now that you say it, I think that's right. Yeah. Those two things are to be zealously, arrogance and anger are to be zealously avoided. Right. And so I wonder if the question has to be questioned, that it's not your question of, should we find this balance when Nukiyut suggests that we go to an extreme? And I wonder if it's we step back and say, so what's, this is a Musa approach, I think, which is, what's the point of the question? Like, what is the point of following the middle way? And then what is the point of going to the extreme of Nikiyut and see if there's a commonality? And I think the commonality is that in the Rambam's approach to following the middle way, what he's actually saying is find moral clarity in everything that you do. And I think Nikiyut is saying the same thing. It's like cleanse yourself in such a way that you have moral clarity. I like that. I like that a lot. I, I and what occurs to me in listening to you say that is that it may also be that the middle way avoids the extremes where temptation lies, right? Temptation lives at the extremes, draws you toward the extremes. Temptation draws you to the extremes, right? And, many, and minor temptations lead to big temptations. That's exactly right. Or so I've been told. <laughs> which, now, is, I, um, which is, sorry, can I just say that yeah, the, yeah. the Vilna Ga'an talks about physical desires um, by saying, uh, what does he say? He says, um, he says it's something like giving into physical desires is like drinking salt water that they just, it just makes you more thirsty. Wow. That's good. Now, Moja, I want to ask you about how Nikiyut applies physically to our physical container, how we clothe our physical selves you know, our, our listeners can't see this, but you are wearing such a fabulous shirt today. Well, and your you. shirts are, without exception, really lovely. Do I do I have to move to Canada to get these shirts, or do I just have to be cooler than I am? Because I'm wearing a schleppy sweatshirt, and you're wearing a really beautiful uh, button-down flowered shirt. Yeah, you have to go to Montreal oh, to make sure. Okay. Deal killer. Yeah. Okay, but Sorry. but okay. Clearly, so I, yeah, you, no. you are conscious of this container, and this is an issue that I bet you have some interest in. Well, um, I do. I, actually, 
I just I just remembered something. Yes, I have an interest in it. My uh, my grandfather Oliver Shalom was a twin, and I, in their later years they lived in a seniors' home in England, and they happened to live on the same floor. And they you mean were... yours is not a Canadian accent? <laughs> no, sorry, oh, it's I, not. I didn't know that. Okay, um, carry on. <clears throat> so they lived on the same floor, and both their wives had passed away. And I, I went to visit once to see my grandpa, and he was like, why don't you go down and see your great uncle? I was like, of course. And so I knocked on the door, and he opened the door, and he was wearing dress pants, a button-down shirt, a tie. Like, he was – I was like, oh, my gosh, is he going out somewhere? He wasn't going out anywhere. But for him, that level of cleanliness or appropriateness in his in his physical presentation remained really important. And – it influenced his thinking and it wow. influenced his actions. And mm -hmm. so there's a Gemara in Shabbat, Shabbat 114a, that says, um, if a Talmud Chacham has an oil stain, so if a, a Torah scholar has an oil stain or a gob of fat on their clothing, they deserve death. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I spill food on my shirts all the time. Is that where you have that lovely pattern? Because it camouflages the... No, I'm kidding. Yes. So it can't mean that if you have a glob of oil on your shirt, you deserve death, right? It has to be some sort of metaphor for the way you present physically. The cleanliness in the physical world is really um, an echo or a wave into the spiritual world. The way I hear it is... Uh... You know, this is the Torah portion with Lex Talionis in it, an eye for an eye, right? The the Code of Hammurabi institutionalizes this kind of literalistic punishment, and the rabbis interpret it non-literally. So I believe the same would be true exa exactly as you're saying regarding this. So shame is a form of death, right? The rabbis say this. So to say that a Tamid Hacham deserves death is to say he deserves the shame. He deserves the shame. If he doesn't guard his physical appearance, he deserves the shame that he gets when people make fun of him or point out that there's the gob of fat on his tully. Right. I like that. Because when I have shame, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm dying a thousand deaths. Exactly. Right. And to shame someone is as bad as is a form of murder. Right. To the sages. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. And so it says, okay, so coming back into this week's Pasha then. So in chapter 22, verse 20, it says, um, and a stranger shall, you don't wrong a stranger and don't oppress them because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. And it's like, oh, okay. So if I, I've got to remember and use any technique I can to not hurt someone else. And that's a level of cleanliness that I have to achieve. Right. I like that. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of this in this week's Parsha is about not hurting others or, you know, not like even the even the oil stain with the Talmud Hacham in Shabbat. Well, this isn't the week's Parsha. It's back to the Gemara. But um, that you deserve death. It's like the commentary to that. And I forget if it was Rashi's commentary, but the commentary in the Gemara, or one of the commentaries, says that 
it's really for the other people around who see the oil stain, because if they see that the Taurus scholar got very sloppy, they'll assume that it's okay to be sloppy with learning Torah, and that'll, and that'll lead them to hate Torah. Wow. And so there is this idea with Nukiyut that you're not just doing it to cleanse yourself, but you have a responsibility to everybody else around you as well. That's really amazing. Um, in verse 24 of this same chapter, God says, if you lend money to my people, to the poor among you, do not act toward them as a creditor, exact no interest from them. Im kesef talve et ami, my people. And uh, the commentary that I'm reading in the JPS Tanakh says, among human beings, the rich and powerful are embarrassed by their poor relatives. God is not embarrassed to call the poor my people. That's from that's actually from Exodus Rabbah. So part of what is being cultivated here is to understand that the that people who are at different stations of us, of whatever it be, of financial wealth, of modesty, of cleanliness, of nekiyut, you shouldn't shame them or be ashamed by them because God is not. That's beautiful. That's beautiful because two sentences further on in verse 26, um, God finishes essentially by saying, Ki ani, because I am gracious. And mm. so it seems like that is a key ingredient to developing nukiyut, to developing this aspect of cleanliness or moral clarity is, yes. to, is to be gracious. Yes. Um, I, I can't, uh, uh, I want to return to the issue of clothing. Hmm. But before that, I just want to think for a moment with you about Na'asevinishma, which, which appears here in this Torah portion, that the people say Na'asevinishma when Moses lays out all of this before the people. It's often translated as we will do and we will hear, which is literally what it means. But Lishma also means to obey, to take in, to really follow, right? So the people and 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 the commentary to this is often that doing precedes full the full metabolizing of the reasons for doing something. You have to begin. So with that respect, I go back to thinking about was it your great uncle? Yeah, yeah, who my... came immaculately dressed. Mm -hmm. Yes, right. Like that is that is a wonderful example of how preparing one's physical container can change one's state of mind. Yeah, we had homework last week, which I kind of forgot about for most I of was, the. I was afraid you were going to bring this up. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it was all about um, <clears throat> honoring our container. It was mm -hmm. all about watching our five senses or our six, our five senses plus our thought process mm -hmm. and seeing where um, our senses, which are make up our, a lot of our physical container or, or reflect or influence our physical container, right? Either helps us or hinders our progress towards Nikiyut, towards mm -hmm. cleanliness. Um, so, um, so, for example, you mentioned chocolate cake last week. There were yeah. a lot of confrontations this week with chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> right. I mean, and, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it was just like the thing that makes a difference for me is um, saying a bracha, a bracha saying a mm -hmm. blessing. Um, to me, the space between the urge to consume and the consumption and the expression of gratitude 
um, totally changes the experience and lessens the temptation. Now, it's not to say I didn't eat a chocolate chip cookie or right. a chocolate chip cookie and a half, but actually recognizing its place in the cosmic order of things, which is just to provide me nourishment, not pleasure, yeah. really diminished the temptation. So as far as the homework went, that was yeah. sort of what I got from it. That's great. I, I This isn't my thought at all, but I like what you said. There's, and I don't know who says it. I'm so sorry. I like to give credit where it's due. But <clears throat> someone says that what separates, a, like I think, like an average person or a good person from a, a tzaddik, from a righteous, a great person, is that the good person takes that chocolate chip cookie and says a bracha. And the tzaddik wants to say a bracha and then looks for some way to say it and chooses a chocolate chip cookie. You've just totally shamed me. I am dead. No. It's a form of death what you've caused me. <laughs> no, I, I I, think it's what we strive for with Nikiyut. Yes. Is the yes. Extreme, that's the extreme of Nikiyut. Yes. Right. Is that I have such clarity in my avodat Hashem, in my service or desire for service to God, that I'm constantly looking for ways to um, to demonstrate that service. Um, and so with respect to ways to demonstrate that service, uh, I still want to come back to the issue that your shirt keeps reminding me of, of, of clothing, of like the physical container. So how does the way you express yourself through your clothing or the, or the way that you understand the expression of self through clothing reflect on the midah of cleanliness of Nekiyu. Um My gosh, I don't know. It's, um, I think there's a lot of vanity in it, to be honest. You know, I, I look at, I look at the guys in my neighborhood, not in my neighborhood, but in Toronto who are black, black suit, white shirt. Mm -hmm. And I recognize intellectually the usefulness of that commonality of taking away the need for cleanliness. And no, let me rewind that. That's nothing to do with your question. Ask well, me the question again. So, no, it, well, okay, I will for, for uh, time's sake. How does, how you see the issue of clothing and how you, Moja, clothe your physical container help you with the midah of Nekiyut, um or hinder you? Yeah, I think that I do. I Okay, tell me, this could be a rationalization, but because I don't wear a white shirt, black suit every day or ever, um, I have to stop and think every morning about what I'm going to wear. And I think about who am I going to be seeing? Like, so today I'm wearing a nice shirt. I, I'm going to see clients today. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm not going to wear a t-shirt. Mm -hmm. and sloppy jeans or whatever it is. Right? Do you ever do that? Um, no, I don't. <laughs> okay, so now we're getting somewhere. You see, because I thought so, because I never see you dressed schleppy like I do, and I think it's important for you, and it's somehow tied to Nikiyut for you. For me, it is. And, our, and we sent our girls to an observant Orthodox school where... Um, where their physical appearance is paramount. The school cares a lot about the length of their skirt, the length mm -hmm. of their shirts. Mm -hmm. um, they don't care that much about things like bullying and you know things that I care about, but they really care about physical appearance as um, 
as a lean into sneut modesty into modesty and i think that is an aspect of nikiut modesty is an aspect of cleanliness yes you know you're reminding me that rabbi akiva tats with whom uh uh i struck up a very important relationship and we wrote a book together called letters to a buddhist jew long story but i asked him about um you know, don't you sort of feel that individuality is erased because everybody dresses so similarly and there's a and there's a strong premium put on looking a certain way and a uniformity in that look? And he said, no, you don't understand. When everybody puts great a great deal of care into a particular way of appearing and that the outer garment is similar the radical individuality of each neshama bursts forth and you see and apprehend and comprehend so much more about people than you would if you were distracted by their flamboyant displays of this or that kind of clothing. Right. And that is the school of Slobodka. So of the mm -hmm. three Musa schools, that was the altar of Slobodka's approach as well, right? Is that every um, student had to dress impeccably because we are made, but Selimelukim, we're made in the image of God, mm -hmm. and so that again comes right back to the beginning of what you said, beginning of our podcast today, which is the intersection or the unification of physicality and spirituality. I I don't know, David. I I, I may not be the best person to for you to ask that question to, because I actually think I am vain. Like I do like to choose clothes that stand out. And I do like my individuality through physical expression. That's not a bad thing. This is a practice point for you, right? This is, yeah. it's an opportunity because, because any strong predilection can be uh, avodat Hashem, right? It can be in the service of God or it can be in the service of oneself. Um, you walk that line extremely well, better than most people I know. So I feel like uh, I, you are the best person to, to to ask that question because you're very conscious both of you, you bridge the the ancient and the modern worlds beautifully the the traditional uh and the if i for lack of a better word skeptical worlds extremely extremely well okay um, I, so, oh i just want to conclude my blabbing by saying that the end of this parsha moses goes up the mountain disappears into the cloud and remains on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Um, this is an experience of radical cleansing, right? Early, earlier on, Moses and 70 elders go up and eat and drink or are nourished in the presence of God. Now Moses goes up alone. Um, uh, this, this foretells both a great communion with God and in some ways paves the way for the crisis, the collective crisis that occurs uh, in the next Torah portion. But I think it has to do with cleanliness. One of the messages for me is um, our extreme spiritual pursuit, our, our spiritual pursuits, no matter how extreme they may become, must never be, uh, uh, um, what am I trying to say, must never be thoroughly self-absorbed. And one form of nekiyut is to also keep in mind how our personal and spiritual hygiene affect and influence other people. Mm. 
I love it. Maybe that's a, I think that sounds like a beautiful summary of what we've been talking about and maybe a good place to pause for today. Okay. But what about homework for next week? Oh my gosh. Okay. Homework for next week. Well, <clears throat> when you were talking about me actually being the perfect person to ask that question to, um, what came to mind was Rav Desla, um, Eliyahu Desla's idea of a Bahira point, of, of a point of choice. Mm. And so you and I know, maybe for some of our listeners who don't, that every character trait, every Mida, can be seen as a, a, a continuum. And we currently sit, we each of us sit on a particular place of the continuum. Mm -hmm. And that place that we sit is a Bihira point, is a choice, is a choice point, a point of choice. So I have to have the awareness that I sit in this place, and then I get to choose, do I move left or right, or do I stay where I am? And so maybe the homework is a bit simpler than last week's, and it's, where am I when it comes to Nukiyut? Or one mm. aspect of Nukiyut. Or or maybe maybe your question, the physical present the way I present myself physically, or the way I present my apartment or house or mm. you know, whatever my home mm -hmm. is, mm -hmm. how tidy is it, how untidy. Mm -hmm. And all I do is I sit and reflect on where I'm at in this moment and then think about do I want to move more or less or stay the same? I think that's a great assignment and I can already think about specific points in my life to which to apply this, but we'll talk about that next week. Okay. Wonderful. David, thanks so much. This was Moja, great. Thank you. I always learned so much from uh, studying Torah and Musar with you. So to our listeners, thank you again for listening to another episode of Self-Control Through Torah. We'll be back next week again to talk about the Midah of Nikkiyut or cleanliness, as we turn our attention to Parshat Truma. I'm David Gottlieb. And I am Modia Silva. Have a great week. Bye.